Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. Today I want to share with you about single status. So yes, this is especially for the singles uh, among us, but also if, if you're married, please continue to listen because this will be important information for you in, 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 in helping uh, single people from the Word of God. I want to make th one thing very clear, that single status is by no means inferior to being married. In fact, Jesus himself chose to be single. The Apostle Paul chose to be single. A and so we need to make that clear. For most people, marriage is indeed um, the created order. That's how God made Adam and Eve in the beginning. So if you desire to be married, that's absolutely correct. That's fine. But if you're single, don't panic. It's absolutely great and wonderful to be single. In fact, if you read 1 Corinthians 7, you get the distinct impression that the Apostle Paul really thought that being single was better and, uh, and uh, so forth. But we want to talk about how to approach being single. Uh, let's turn to Proverbs 18, verse 21 and 22. It gives a promise here and also a warning. He says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. And then Next to it, it says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So if you find a wife, if you find a husband, you know, that's a good thing. Uh, if it's the right one, that is. Um, and it's, you have obtained favor from the Lord. God's favor, you need to believe this, that God's favor is upon your life. You belong to Christ. God's favor is upon you. And part of that favor is that he wants to give you that uh, good thing, that husband, that wife. So believe in God's favor on your life. You've got to be careful at what you speak because death and life are in the power of the tongue and you'll eat of its fruit. So if you, you need to start proclaiming today, God has that right person for me, my right man, my right woman. God is favoring my life. He's bringing that right one to me at the right time. Don't be saying, death and life, remember, in the power of the tongue. Don't be saying, oh, I'll never find the right one. I'll never be married. You know, be careful with your words, all right? You need to establish your faith that God has that right one for you. And, and a key principle while you're single is that, there, first of all, God wants us to have our purpose in life established. And then he brings our partner alongside us. That will help us not get it wrong. If, if you have no purpose, if you have no... Uh, clear identity. You are not ready, really, to get married. If you're looking to that other one to provide all that for you, you won't make a very good partner. No, God wants you established in your identity and your purpose, and then you won't get it wrong because the person coming alongside will fit with that, you see. But if you're aimless, then uh, quite likely you will get the wrong person. Let's see that in Proverbs 24, 27. It says, first, prepare your outside work. Make it fit for yourself in the field and afterward build your house. In other words, first, you need to establish your work, your purpose, uh, your identity. Then you will be ready to build your house. There's an order there. And we see that order even in Genesis 2. Because it says in verse 15 that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to tend it and to keep it. He gave him a job to do. He gave him a purpose. And 
He gave him instructions. He gave him responsibility. He gave him boundaries. What he could do, what he couldn't do. Then he brought Eve to him in verse 18. It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. I'll bring him his partner. But notice he established him first in his purpose, in his work. And then he brought someone alongside to help him in that, an equal partner. And, and the word is helper comparable, help meet. Not help mate, but help meet. One who's suited, who fits him, who, work, who is yoked together with him in their life and their purpose together. In the job that God gives you. Now, establish your own identity first. Don't look to, that, to your mate to provide that all for you. If you have established your identity first, you've got more to give to that union. Okay, well, the helper, of course, is not inferior. The word for helper is used many times of God. The woman and the man together, they help each other. And they partner together. But you won't know until you're established in that as to who will be that right partner. It's interesting what happens next. The Lord realizes he needs to provide a mate for Adam. What does he do? He doesn't do that immediately. He does something else. Verse 19, out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to all the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. Now clearly there was more going on than simply Adam naming the animals. It's all to do with finding a helper for Adam, a partner for Adam. Obviously, Adam saw all these animals go by two by two, and he's beginning to think, where's my partner? You know, he's helping Adam to actually realize his need and helping Adam think through who would be a suitable partner for him. And, and as he walked by, he saw the elephants come by, and he thought, well, those elephants are big, they're strong, but really, I don't think that's my partner. And a kangaroo would hop by and thought, oh, that's pretty neat to hop like that. That could be useful in many situations, but that isn't the partner. And so Adam might have got a bit discouraged as he saw all these possible partners go by, but clearly that wasn't the right one. For Adam, there wasn't found a partner. So Adam was already kind of looking out for the right partner. God was actually causing Adam to think through who would be the right partner. I want you to notice here, a principle that there was Adam had to, although God would bring that right partner to him, God had to recognize who that partner was, you see. And in the same way, as you go through life, there are many possible candidates that will pass you by. Elephants, kangaroos, and all kinds. But you have to recognize who is the right, who is the suitable partner for you. Don't settle for second best. Don't settle for a counterfeit. And then, of course, what happened, God caused Adam to go to sleep and he brought forth Eve out of Adam's side and brought him to Adam. And Adam got excited and said, yes, this is it. She shall be called woman. And flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. And they became husband and wife. Adam recognized the true partner. So if you desire to be married, 
That's good. And, 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 and God helped prepare Adam to be ready to desire to be married. That's part of the process. And, and then when God sends the right one along, you know, then it's time to recognize them. Now, you need to trust, as God brought Eve to Adam, as God brought Rebecca to Isaac, through the Holy Spirit, through the servant, Eliezer, which represents the Holy Spirit, he brought Rebecca to Isaac in Genesis 24. God will bring your right one to you in the right time. And, and my wife Hilary has a tremendous testimony about this and how she, you know, find it difficult, as, as we all do. But then she found her, her happiness and her satisfaction in the Lord. She established her own relationship with the Lord, her own identity with the Lord. Uh, as the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these other things will be added to you. In other words, if you put God first, God will provide the right one at the right time. And in particular, the verse that God gave Hillary was, was Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And as she delighted herself in God, and she became quite satisfied to be single, and then God provided. Um, uh, praise God. Um, and, he, and, and, and I thank God for that too. If you're looking to God, if you're in fellowship with God, you will recognize the right one when God sends them to you. But if you're looking in all the wrong places out of desperation, you'll be blind and you'll get the wrong one. You need to trust God. And the other thing is you need to assess rationally when you start thinking about a certain person to be your partner, don't rush into it. You need to know what they're like. What kind of friends do they have? What are they like at home? What are they like with their parents? Um, what are they like in the church fellowship? What kind of relationships do they have? How do they handle arguments? Do they forgive quickly? Uh, or or if, if there's an argument, is it, is it really messy? You know, you need to have your eyes open. Yes, you might have feelings for them, but you need to keep your eyes open. You, you're not just to overlook, because you need to get a realistic idea. The Bible, in Luke 14, it talks about when, before you make a big decision, like marriage, you need to count the cost. You need to know what they're like. Don't have unrealistic expectations, though. I mean, for example, say you're looking for the perfect person, like someone who looked for the perfect you know, the perfect woman, and he had it all idea, and some women were just an inch too short, others an inch too short, another nose was a little bit long, and, and so on. And finally he found his perfect woman. The only problem is she wasn't interested in him because she was looking for the perfect man. Well, if you think he's already perfect because you're so overboard in love with him, then you're not ready to marry him because you don't know him well enough if you still think he's perfect because I can promise you he's not. What about dating? How does that work? Well, attraction is on three levels because we are spirit, soul, and body. So first of all, you need to be sure that spiritually you're compatible. Can you pray together? Are you happy in church together? Same kind of church and so on. You need to be spiritually compatible. Well, obviously, you need to both be Christians. Then in the soul area, do you get on well together? Do you enjoy 
each other's company and so on? Do you get on just in the natural way with each other? And then, of course, thirdly, there needs to be physical attraction, some physical attraction. That's not the most important thing, of course, but it's spirit, soul, body. In dating, too, that's a good guidance. First of all, you need to build that spiritual relationship. You know, have, have your spiritual life in common and share that belief in the Word of God. Be able to pray together. That's where it starts. Then, of course, you develop the relationship in the soul, in your conversation, in getting to know each other, and so forth. And then, finally, well, when you get married, then that's consummated physically. If you, go to, if you bypass the soul and go straight to the physical, you will spoil what's meant to happen in building your relationship as friends in the soul area. So you don't want to do that. Spirit, soul, body. Also, be careful not to go on the rebound. You know, marry someone on the rebound. You're in a bad situation or a bad relationship. You're so desperate, you want to get rid of your misery or whatever, and so you quickly dive into another relationship. No, don't see marriage as a shortcut to identity. You need to establish yourself again first before you're ready then for a new relationship. Uh, you know, it's better to be single than to be in the wrong marriage. A classic example is Moses. Even a great man of God like Moses could get it really wrong. If you look at his story, um, he actually really misses God big time. He knows he's called to deliver his people, but he commits a murder, and he has to go on the run. And as he flees to Sinai, to, to Midian, um, he's obviously in a bad state. And who does he meet? He meets the daughters of Jethro. He meets Zipporah around the well. And Jethro sees he would make a good son-in-law, and he offers Zipporah as the wife. And obviously Moses quickly gets married to Zipporah. And maybe the, I'm sure there was some attraction there. But we find out later in the word of God, she was a most unsuitable wife. She was, it would seem, an unbeliever. And um, we see that because later on she refuses to have their children circumcised. Which for an Abrahamic believer is an absolute essential. It's the sign of the covenant. She rejects that covenant. And in fact, there's an interesting story where it sees that Moses is about to lose his life somehow. It seems like even God was, was, was saying, enough is enough. I'm not permitting this to continue. Zipporah somehow knows that they've offended God. And she then takes a sharp stone and cuts off the foreskins and circumcises the children. And then she shouts at Moses and says, you're, you're a, son, a son of blood, you've made us. And uh, look, you know, it, and her spirit is clearly antagonistic. And Moses has clearly picked the wrong woman because he did it on the rebound. And it, he couldn't take her to the uh, promised, uh, you know, he couldn't take her to Egypt. He had to send her home. Obviously, things had got so bad. Eventually, maybe she died, but Moses was able to remarry later on. And he chose to marry an Ethiopian. But it was all right because she was a believer. And in fact, Miriam, when she comes against that marriage, out of a bit of womanly jealousy, perhaps, because she was the main woman in Moses' life now, um, God really deals with Miriam strongly. And he supports Moses' uh, second marriage there to this Ethiopian woman, because she was a believer. So if Moses can miss it, you need to be careful. 
because it's so easy, because emotions in this area run so strong. You need to be wise. You need to be controlled by the word of God. Well, what qualities should you look for in a, in a mate? Well, first of all, I would say he needs to be a good, a faithful man uh, who takes responsibility, who's trustworthy. And secondly, they need to be, you need to be spiritually compatible with them. What does that mean? First of all, they must be saved. They must be a Christian. That's essential. That's commanded by the word of God. And secondly, I would say as a matter of wisdom, now, if it's a believer, then fair enough. I can't say that the word of God forbids you to marry someone. But I would also add this as a matter of wisdom, that if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, you know, you need to m have someone like that. If you are a person of the word of God, you don't need some wishy-washy believer who kind of doesn't take the word of God seriously. One test is, can you pray together? Or are you just spiritually so different that's, that's very difficult? I believe, you know, you, you, you should have a relatively mature believer. If they're carnal and unstable, well, that's very risky because when they don't feel like being in the marriage anymore, they're just going to leave you. And so this is what you need to look for. Number one, they need to be saved. Let's see this in 2 Corinthians 6.14. It says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You can't get it any clearer than that, can you? You see, to, often the animals were yoked together. If they were yoked together, they had to be a similar size, like two oxen or, 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 or two horses or whatever. They're yoked together. Uh, say you're carrying a stretcher and one person is seven foot and the other one is five foot. That's not going to work, all right? <laughs> because if two people doing a job together, they need to be in unity, in harmony. If you're going to be yoked together for life to someone, you need to to be in agreement on the fundamental issue of who God is, of who your Savior is, of who your fundamental principles in life are. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That is a command. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with, with Belial, the devil? What part has an unbeliever with an believer with an unbeliever? In other words, you have nothing in common that is of anything of any great importance. How can you build that lifelong partnership, team, you know, union with an unbeliever? It's you are commanded not to do that. And God is upset if you break that command. If, you know, if you're already in that situation, well, it's under the blood. You, you work with, with that. But if you're a single person, you need to realize that the Bible does not, does not have a gray area on this issue. It's confirmed in 1 Corinthians 7.39. It says that if, if a wife's husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. The only thing God actually demands is that you marry in the Lord, which means you marry another Christian who is in Christ. You know, in the Old Testament this is true. The Israelites were forbidden to intermarry with the other nations. Now, that wasn't a racial thing. It was because... The other nations were generally unbelievers, idolaters. And, and the reason is that if you do intermarry there with an unbeliever, they would cause you to compromise and you'll end up following their gods. You see that with Solomon. You see that in the story of Balaam, the prophet. When he couldn't bring a curse on Israel, he came up with the idea, ah, if you can get the Israelites, if you can seduce them into marrying 
your girls, then they will compromise their faith and then the curse will start coming on that nation. And he understood that principle. But you see, if, these, if the women in the other countries were believers, God had no problem with that. For instance, Moses and the Ethiopian. We see Ruth, who was a Moabitess. We see Rahab, who was a Canaanite. They, God allowed and was happy for them to marry the Israelites. But I want you to see that God has consistently forbidden unbelievers to marry unbelievers. Don't think you can change him, you know, uh, after you got him married. Uh, because if, he's not, if, he's not, if he doesn't change, if he doesn't come to God when he's really motivated during the dating time, when he's still trying to win you, how do you think you, he's going to turn to God after marriage? It, there's no promise of God that that will happen, and there's no grace of God for that. And it, was a, it might happen one in a thousand times, but you can't count on that. You're actually hindering him come to the Lord, because think about it. You're actually, in a sense, telling him that your faith, your Lord, is not that important to you. And he'll get the message that it's not that important, he doesn't need to pay it much attention. But if you say to him, if he, if he propositions you, you need to say, I'm sorry. My, I, I am a Christian and I can only uh, have a serious relationship with another Christian. Then he'll, if he's really interested in you, if he really loves you, then he will look into your church. He'll look into your God. He'll want to find out more if he's that interested in you. But if he c is not drawn and if the beauty of Jesus doesn't touch his heart, then your beauty ultimately is not going to, uh, you know, win him. And, and so he may initially be tolerant, uh, but in time he will resent your faith, he'll resent if you put the Lord first, he'll resent you teaching the children what you believe, uh, unless you compromise, which many do, and you dumb down that whole your whole Christian life, and then again the damage is done there as well. You know, how can you be united if you disagree on all these fundamental things? The tendency for most is to become lukewarm, to fit in with him. If you're thinking of marrying someone who doesn't love Jesus, think again. This is the biggest decision of your life after accepting Jesus as your Lord. If you love God, then why would you bind yourself permanently to someone who does not? It doesn't make sense. Women seem to make this mistake more, more, even more often, Christian women. Maybe they think, well, it's only a date. It's nothing serious. But the thing is, once you start getting involved, the emotions start kicking in, and then it's very hard to pull back. And before you know it, you're fully involved with this person. It's better not even to go there. Because once you start falling in love, you, you, you may not be strong enough to pull back from that. Be wise. Don't even go there. Don't be unequally yoked. Jesus knows to bring along that perfect partner for you that you will be yoked to and you can fulfill your purpose in life together. Someone you can pray with. Someone who will stand with you when you're under pressure rather than someone who will always be fighting what you believe and fighting the principles you're trying to teach your children. You need to be in agreement. You need to see before you start dating if they're really a lover of God. Remember, some men are fakers. 
They'll pretend to be interested in church, in God, just to win you over. But it's not a sincere commitment. They've got to show on their own that they're truly following God, that they love God. Then they qualify for further consideration. You know, marriage is a commitment for life. It's a covenant. You need to get it right. And, and so, just because they don't object to your Christianity, that isn't enough. You know, because actually, if he is under the power, if he's saved, then you can expect him to be changed from glory to glory. But if he's not saved, he'll only get worse. And he'll only make things harder and harder for you. Well, there'll be trouble ahead if you have disunity with your husband. You need to make sure he's a believer. No relationship on earth is more important than your relationship to the Lord. And if that relationship is causing you to cool off to the Lord because you're fitting in with him, that needs to be sacrificed. Well, if you're dating an unbeliever even now, examine your heart before the Lord. If he's walking in the darkness and you're in the light, why are you trying to walk down the same path? Trust the Lord, and he will bring the right person to you. Don't insist on your own way, because it will just lead to, pr to trouble. There's a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but the end thereof is the way of death. Remember, the enemy is also a matchmaker. The Bible says again in 2 Corinthians, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What fellowship has light with darkness? Then it goes on to say, you're the temple of the living God. I will dwell in them and walk in them. God says, I want to have fellowship with you. I'll be your God and they will be my people. And then he says to those in wrong relationships, therefore come out from among them and be separate, from, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I'll be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. He says, you need to repent of that relationship. Come back to God. Now, if you're already married, that's too late now. You've made that covenant. You've got to make the best of it. But if you're not married yet, you need to get out of that wrong relationship and trust God to provide that person. Believe in God's love for you. He'll arrange the right one at the right time. How can you speed that process up? Make sure you're ready for marriage. Make sure your identity and your purpose in life is getting established, that you're being a fulfilled single person in the Lord. And start praying for that husband and that wife. Trust, pray for them every day. Trust God to provide them for, to you. And ask God to give you wisdom to recognize them when they come and to discern the counterfeit one that Satan sends to you. God will bless you.